Elvis Presley's concert in Hawaii is watched by over a billion people live worldwide. Roe vs. Wade, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned state bans on abortion. U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War ends with the signing of the Paris Peace Accords. Construction on the CN Tower in Toronto begins. Aerosmith makes their debut by releasing their self-titled album. Queen Elizabeth II opens the modern London Bridge. Larry Flint first publishes Hustler magazine. And in unrelated news, airbags are commercially available in General Motors Chevrolet models. Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, one of Rock's landmark albums, is released. The first handheld cellular call is made by Martin Cooper, who conceived the phone in New York City. The World Trade Center officially opens in New York City. The Egg McMuffin is introduced by McDonald's. Mike Oldfield releases Tubular Bells, the first release on Richard Branson's newly launched Virgin label. Federal Express officially begins operations. Danielle Steele publishes her first book. Kiss performs their first concert at the Coventry Club in Queens. Skylab, the United States' first space station, is launched. The United States Drug Enforcement Agency is founded. The Summer Jam at Watkins Glen, a massive rock festival featuring the Grateful Dead, the Allman Brothers Band, and the band, attracts over 600,000 music fans. The Norr-Malmstorg robbery occurs, famous for the origin of the term Stockholm Syndrome. The Rocky Horror Show opens to enthusiastic London theater goers. Sydney Opera House is opened by, once again, Elizabeth II after 14 years of construction work. U.S. President Richard Nixon, Nixon signs the Trans-Alaska Pipeline Authorization Act into law, authorizing the construction of the Alaska Pipeline. In continuing Watergate news coverage, U.S. Rick, President Richard Nixon tells 400 Associate Press Managing Editors, I am not a crook. Born this year are David Blaine, Jennifer Esposito, Adrian Brody, Tori Spelling, Heidi Klum, Faith Evans, Juliet Lewis, Monica Lewinsky, Kate Beckinsale, Dave Chappelle, Rose McGowan, Shannon Elizabeth, Nev Campbell, Seth MacFarlane, and Tyra Banks. And continuing with the B list of deaths, President Lyndon B. Johnson, Edward G. Robinson, Noel Coward, Pablo Picasso, Veronica Lake, Bruce Lee, Betty Grable, Lon Chaney Jr., John Ford, J.R. Tolkien, Jim Croce, Pablo Neruda, Gene Krupa, Bobby Darren all passed away. At the Grammys this year, best pop vocal performance by a female was Roberta Flack for Killing Me Softly with his song. Best pop vocal performance by a male was Stevie Wonder for You Are the Sunshine of My Life. This is for Alan. Best country vocal performance female was Olivia Newton-John for Let Me Be There. (laughs) Best new artist was Bette Midler. Record of the Year was by producer Joel Dorn and Roberta Flack for Killing Me Softly with his song. Album of the Year went to Stevie Wonder for Inner Visions. Song of the Year was again Roberta Flack for Killing Me Softly with his song. In the Billboard Top 5 Singles, Tony Orlando and Dawn tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. Number 2 was Jim Croce, Bad Bad Leroy Brown. Number 3 was Roberta Flack. Killing me softly with his song. Number four, Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On. Number five, Paul McCartney with Wings, My Love. Also with Billboard, the top five albums, War, The World is a Ghetto, Seals and Crofts, Summer Breeze. Number three was Stevie Wonder with Talking Book. Four, Carly Simon, No Secrets. And five, Diana Ross, Lady Sings the Blues. It's 1973. And, and this, this is Hermaphobia.
Welcome to Homophobia 27. I'm Alan. And I'm Mark. And I'm Ross. And we're here <laughs> to talk about the films of 1973. Um, so what do you guys think? What was the consensus? Uh, good year? Bad year? Um, I I thought there was a lot of really good movies this year and some real, real stinkers that were totally unwatchable. But uh, yeah, Ross. Yeah, well, same, same. I agree. I think there's a lot of stinkers, but every year has lots of stinkers, and um, I, I really like this year because it, it showed America the decay of the inner cities and everything. And I saw a lot of movies that had a lot of, you know, really felt like depression, and um, we're we're talking about that a lot now, and we're headed towards that, and. And um, we're gonna see see another coming of of of, of urban decay, and, and I'm kind of I'm like bring it on. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, perhaps as well too? That's sort of a byproduct of the sort of counterculture uh, era that films went through with like Easy Rider and stuff like that, where things got a lot more grittier. You'll see films like um, The Last Detail, which were a little bit more um, almost documentarian in their narrative kind of thing. Like they're not. They weren't as stylized or, um, you know what I mean? They just had that kind of really raw feel to them anyhow. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm hoping we're going back to the raw feel of, uh, of movies. We're, we're just too much into um, prepackaged and, and sequels and remakes and everything mm-hmm. else. I think filmmakers need to go back to uh, uh, coming out of, coming up with ideas that, that are, are brand new and exciting and, and, and are yeah. spawned from um, mm-hmm. the era yeah, because uh, there were there were some really large political things happening, and uh, at the time, especially for like uh, the states, um, Vietnam, the the war ended, and the troops were like pulled out like within months of of, of the peace thing being signed, and uh, uh, the OPEC uh, oil shortage uh, happened at that point too. Like uh, OPEC doubled the price of uh, the the barrel of oil. And yeah, there was like a fuel crisis in in the early seventies. Deja vu. Yeah. Hey, that's <laughs> not. But we we shouldn't fall back on um, on sequels and remakes and reboots and everything else. Um, we have to go back and and uh, show show what's really affecting us and 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 how we feel at the time, and not you know just yesterday the the latest friday the 13th came out but it was a reboot right it's it's mm-hmm. all going back to um touchy feely good feelings back in the um previous series and we have we have to <laughs> do something now that reflects our current situation but as you mentioned like 1973 has how many iterations of frankenstein so you're seeing them revisit and reimagine the same materials over and over again as well yeah Yes, there's five reimaginings of Frankenstein in '73. I, I, yes, I agree with you on that. But um, there's also a lot of, of a lot of movies that that are brand new and and reflect the times. I, I think. I, I thought it was kind of funny when you mentioned uh, uh, the new Friday the Thirteenth and Touchy Feely all in the same sentence. Thank you. <laughs> Jason's a Touchy Feely kind of guy. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to kill you with love. That's right. Lick you like a kitten. You just killed three police officers, Harry. And the only reason I'm not going to kill you is because I'm going to prosecute you with your own system. It'll be my word against yours. And who's going to believe you? You're a killer, Harry. A maniac.
man's got to know his limitations. Okay, well, let's jump in and take a look at the top 10 grossing films in 1973. Tracking down a top 20 list for 73 was um, an impossibility. Well, at least with the resources that I was able to find. So we'll jump in at number 10. How about you kick us off, Mark, and we'll go down the line here. Alrighty, it's uh, it's a Roger Moore, James Bond movie, Live and Let Die. Now, here's something that a lot of people think is a modern-day thing. It's a reboot. Reboot, you think of the Hulk. Hulk came out, what, in 2003, and it was rebooted last year. Mm-hmm. And um, Live and Let Die was a reboot. It was uh, Sean Connery up to then, and they brought along Roger Moore. And a lot of the things that Roger Moore does in the movie reboots the character. He doesn't wear a hat when he comes out and shoots the screen at the beginning. He drinks uh, – he doesn't drink uh, shaken, not stirred. He drinks um, – I think it's bourbon. And he does a lot of other things in the movie that they wanted to make something totally new, totally new vision with the character – um, they didn't bring in Q for the first time since the first movie and um, did a lot of different things. And eventually, of course, they brought back a lot of these things. So the fans made a big mm-hmm. – they made a, they made a lot of noise about it. And they oh, wanted yeah. Q back and they wanted to see martinis, shaken, not stirred, and everything else. And um, Don't yeah. you think that maybe they went a little too far by trying to make it uh, more modern? It was such a bad ripoff of a black exploitation film for the most part. Yes, but everything was in that year yeah. pretty much. Well, but no, there was there was black exploitation, and then there was really bad versions of it, and this was it. I I found this this movie almost unwatchable. I I I, I fell asleep during it. About the only good thing I remember about it is uh the theme song it has it has lived on to today plus yeah. the boat jump was a Guinness world record really and it didn't wasn't supposed to hit the car at the end it was supposed to not do that and when the sheriff said fuck <laughs> after that happened well they didn't say that they've drawn it out with something um that was also uh, improvised in the scene they kept it in but um it broke a record and hmm. That, that's that's basically all 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 I remember of, about it. And plus, he he jumped across a bunch of crocodiles, which which sort of got into the um, the campiness, the Batman nineteen sixty six campiness of James Bond, <laughs> um, jumping over the heads of the crocodiles like some sort of weird pitfall game. Yeah. Um, also, the, this was also the introduction of uh, Jane Seymour to the viewing public. Yes, later to be known as Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman. <laughs> All right, number nine is uh, Peter Bogdanovich's Paper Moon, which we will likely be talking about a little bit more later. And number eight was Last Tango in Paris. Again, we, we, we will probably be talking about that one a little bit later as well. Number seven, Robin Hood, the animated movie by Disney. Number six was a Clint Eastwood Dirty Harry film, Magnum Force. Um, any comments, guys? I liked it. But then again, I'm a Clint Eastwood fan, and I like Dirty Harry movies. But uh, yeah, it, it was neat seeing a bunch of these uh, um, actors that we know today. To become uh, television stars, David Soul, um, <laughs> Robert Urich. Yeah, and uh, oh, Tim Tim Matheson as well, yes. a, a, a holdout for a lot of uh, um, 
National Lampoon movies, and and uh, now lately like well, like Harlequin Romance National Lampoon stuff. movie. Hmm? Well, a National Lampoon movie. Well, no, I thought he did a few of them. Uh, he did Animal House. He did other comedies, but like like Brady hot, Bunch, Hot Dog. Uh, Alrighty then. Um, we're up to five with the way you were. Yes, the uh, Sidney Pollack directed um, Robert Redford, uh, Barbara Streisand romance. Um, have you guys seen it? Uh, probably when I was younger. Uh, I had no interest at all in seeing it. This, this, this go around. Nope, never seen it. Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? I have. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. It's a great movie. I mean, it's it still stands as you know one of the more, you know, one of the classics of the last forty years. I think that you know, as it it's sort of one of those movies that's, um, still, iconized for for its treatment of romantic material. Okay, after that we have Papillon. Yeah, uh, that's the... Um, oh, who's in that? Yeah, that's it. That, I keep on forget that. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman, Steve McQueen, uh, French Island Prison Escape movie. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that later as well. At number three, we have American Graffiti, the George Lucas-directed um, American classic, I guess. Yeah. 1950s car classic. After that, we have The Sting, number two. This was, uh, oh, what was his name? George Roy Hill was yep. the director. Yep. Um, we have Robert Redford and um, Paul, Newman. Paul Newman playing the con artists in during the Great Depression. Was that, yep. that was about that time, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good movie. It's still, you know, it's still funny and amusing and everything else. Um, I love... Um, the Grifters, the movie The Grifters, and if you watch The Grifters and then you watch The Sting, one's a blueprint of the other. Yeah, and I find that uh, The Sting, it was so smooth, smoothly played. It reminded me of the of the remake of Ocean's Eleven. Uh, it was so smooth, and you were like, you, you were like cheering at the end because they got everything done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good fun film. You're thinking about the remake. Yeah. Okay. I I I I've never seen the original of Ocean's Eleven. Oh, you so. wouldn't be cheering. No. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, number one was The Exorcist with eighty-nine million dollars. I know the grosses are a little low, aren't they? It's kind of funny to look at these grosses and and. Uh... Yeah, because like this is a current weekend gross of, <laughs> of 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 the blockbuster movies of today. Yeah, we've seen opening days this big, or bigger. Yeah. Crazy. Get it inside your boy, and you'll be going up that hill as fast as you come down. So, um, thanks for having me back, guys. Um, I'm glad that uh, you kept me on after the sci-fi special. And um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna like throw something in here that you might uh, be surprised. I've 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 been a longtime fan. I've listened to a lot of your shows consecutively came in a little later and um after watching all this kiss, man. <laughs> <laughs> after after doing all this yeah. i i came up with the uh with a new segment for the show i think we should uh call it this year in ridley scott history <laughs> 1973 do you know what ridley scott did in 1973 uh, i think he went to the washroom at least 365 times um He'd still be doing uh, commercial film at this point, wouldn't he? 
Alan wins the prize, and I do have prizes, and he will be getting one. Um, yes, Ridley Scott produced a film in 1973, or a commercial. It was called um, Hovis Bread, and um, it, you can look it up on YouTube. It's actually a very popular commercial. It's, in fact, the most – well, it's been voted the best commercial of all time in the UK. It's um, – Quite quite interesting because I can't figure out why, for the life of me, why this commercial is the most popular. Well, the, he went on to do the 1984 Macintosh commercial as well. Um, he and Tony Scott both um, both started in the, the advertising um, film market, and they brought that you know the, the quick cutting and and the real visual perfection that had to be achieved for commercials and stuff like that to their films. And uh, you see that play out. Well, the Hovis Bread commercial has a little boy riding a bike up a a, a little crescent or pebbly road or whatever. And he goes to um, a baker and there's a bread with a Hovis loaf. And that sounds like a sexually transmitted <laughs> disease. I got Hovis loaf. Well, they, he, the, the Hovis is From actually imprinted on, on the loaf. And um, it's really well well filmed, but is there, a, is there a catch to it? Is there some sort of oh, something that you'd remember it by? I, I, can't, I can't get anything from it. Um, it just, it's really well done. It's well filmed and, and everything else, but it's just not – it doesn't do anything. There's no – there's nothing – like nowadays when you watch the Super Bowl commercials, it's, it's the ones that you remember are the ones that have somebody punching a monkey in the face or, um, you know – yeah, but I mean, the bar was pretty low back in those days. I mean, prior to this, you had guys hawking cigarettes during their talk shows, right? I mean, like, you didn't really they have... Would, yeah, they would they would break down the fourth wall and pull out their smokes. And it's like, smoke <laughs> Chesterfields. Be nice, smooth. Yeah, well, it's really well done. Look it up on YouTube. Hovis Loaf commercial, 1973. I think it's I've the, actually seen this commercial. Devoted the best commercial of all time um, within the UK... I think if we added the U.S., they'd uh, do the uh, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing, which came out about oh. the same time. Oh, yeah. No, that was huge. Yeah, it was. But um, yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll look for this on YouTube and try and put it in on the show notes. Okay. Thank you for the new segment. Awesome. This, this year in Ridley Scott history. <laughs> Brought to you by Hovis Logo. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, cut over to G Street. I just saw a vision. I saw a goddess. Come on, you gotta catch up to her. See anything? Come on, Kurt. We can't be spending half the night chasing girls down for you. Maury, I'm telling you, this was the most perfect, dazzling creature I've ever seen. She's gone. Get it. She spoke to me. She spoke to me right through the window. I think she said, I love you. Okay, we're gonna take a look at some of the overrated and underrated films of 1973. Um, I don't know about you guys, but my knowledge, my my viewing of 73 films isn't quite as expansive as it would be in the later 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s. Yeah. So my overrated and underrated films turned out to be more like a best of and worst of kind of thing of, of what I saw. Well, not necessarily the worst, but some of the ones that should have been better or 
I don't know, just ones that maybe rubbed me the wrong way or something. Yeah, yeah, considering that, yeah, in 1973, yeah, I was a little bit young to be going to the theater on a regular basis. Well, 21, they let so. you in when you're 21, don't they? Shut up. <laughs> you're making me older every time. <laughs> it's hurting my feelings. So, um... Maybe we can, I don't know, maybe let, let Ross lead here with his um, overrated films of 1973. Well, um, overrated started back in 1971 for me with the Don't series. And um, if you go look on YouTube, once again, I'm going to talk about YouTube. I'm not, I'm not some sort of publicist for YouTube. And um, I know you already are looking for the Hovis bread commercial, but um, there's also a, um, a, a, a great commercial by Edgar Wright who did a trailer for Don't, which was a uh, fake movie, actually. It, well, it didn't come out, but it, it sort of epitomizes what was wrong with the um with the early 70s um especially from the uk there was a lot of don't movies don't don't go in the basement which was from 73 and um um don't look now which was actually pretty good but um um it was it was a movie studio's way of uh of tapping into the counterculture and saying you know hey what's how can we get these these hippie kids to go see a movie hey let's make a movie with don't in it or don't in, in the start of the sentence and they're gonna go see that because they want to like go yeah. against everything right yeah, reverse psychology yeah. yeah and there's a lot of movies that came out with don't um other than carry on which in 1973 <laughs> carry on girls was the 25th carry on movie holy smokes I actually enjoyed some of those carry-on movies because they were kind of funny. Yeah, they had a lot of boobies in them. Yeah, by 1973, they had already cranked out 25 movies with carry-on girls being the 25th. Hmm. So that's all I have for uh, my uh, really overrated. Sort of, a, sort of a general category that you found yeah. to be. Cool. Mark? Um, okay, yeah, for mine, uh, I actually had specific movies that uh, – these are ones that I had watched in the lead up to this to this podcast. Um, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. I remember watching this when I was a kid, thinking, "Yeah, this is awesome." Now, wow! Uh, they must have had like about three, four dollars for a budget, and they recycled all the costumes. And holy smokes, this was unwatchable. I I wasn't able to get past like I think about fifteen, twenty minutes of it. And I had to turn it off. Wow. This came after Conquest, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, they were, it was sort of dwindling by then. <laughs> they had to uh, make do. Uh, yeah, none of the masks were even like, uh, uh, like the mouths didn't actually move with what they were doing. It just kind of like, ha, ha, ha. It just moved, moved a little bit. Like Muppets have more, have more facial uh, Articulation than these guys did. Oh, by was, then they were like at number five or number six, so uh, it was a pretty good, pretty good run for six or seven years. Uh, my next one up was Mean Streets uh, by I agree. Uh, director Martin Scorsese, uh, and you would think like with 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 a cast like Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel, and David Carradine, Robert Carradine, you would think okay, these these, these guys are stand up actors. Wow. What a horror show of... Yeah, I, I fell asleep about eight times trying to watch this movie. Yeah. I just... I, I expected a lot a lot of later Scorsese and, um, 
you know, any of these actors, I would have stayed awake and, and being totally captivated by. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was the start, right? Yeah. And But I know, yeah, I'm sure it's also like, like De Niro's early work as well. And it kind of shows like he is so un, uncontrolled in this. I think too that um, Scorsese was sort of going through a period at that point too where he was kind of, I don't know if they, if they were actually improving, but it almost felt as though that they were. Yes, um, it the actors seem to be on different pages, and it just it does just doesn't match. But ironically enough, I mean, the next year he made Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which is like one of my fucking favorite movies of the early seventies, which has so much more structure and is so much better acted than than I found Mean Streets to be, and. I find it really interesting that Mean Streets is still considered. I mean, like if you go back and look at some of the critical attention that it got, it was quite favorable. Hmm. Well, obviously they were all high. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next up, I had uh, Walking Tall, the uh, uh, the Joe Don Baker movie where he, it's a, it's kind of a semi biopic of Buford Pusser, this uh, sheriff in the South. Um, Again, another movie that I really enjoyed when I was a kid, and I probably should have left it there. Uh, it had so many peaks and valleys in this movie that I, I, I felt ill at the end of it. Like I was on a roller coaster. It just really, really choppy editing and boom mics. Holy smokes. So many boom mics. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, it was fundamentally a drive-in movie so that the production values were not that high. But I mean, it was it was successful enough to spawn a couple of sequels. I still don't get it. I watched it, and it was just like, okay, um, you know, every fifteen minutes, this guy's in the hospital, bandaged from head to toe because he just took a shit kicking, <laughs> and yet he's walking around with the biggest fucking stick possible. He didn't get any licks in at all. Like it was just, it was brutal watching this guy just you know over and over and over again. You know, some people just don't learn their lessons. Like I don't know what to take from it, but um, I know I went back and I tried looking for. Uh, uh, an Ebert review of the film and he hadn't seen the first one, but he started watching the second one and he actually gave it quite a favorable review. So, you know, when, when we get up to walking tall too, maybe, maybe things will be better. Alrighty. Um, next up I had day of the dolphin, uh, a Mike Nichols film and it had like George C. Scott in it. And I was thinking, okay, this is, this is going to be a great movie greatly boring well look at the pedigree of this film you've got mike nichols directing you've got buck henry writing it oh yeah and you've got george c scott starring in it and what a piece of shit like it was laughably bad however um stylistically like technically the movie is is really good looking and it is very well oh done. yes yes i i was actually gonna actually i was considering putting him on my uh, top top directors for, for this movie because it looked beautiful. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's a beautiful piece of poop. Yeah. <laughs> what else you got for us? Um, my last one I got here for overrated was Sleeper. The Woody Allen movie. Oh. Fighting words. <laughs> uh, I am not a Woody Allen fan. I, I gave this, this one my, like, third shot of watching it. I, I got through it this time, but, uh. Yeah, it's well. I'm glad you didn't um, you didn't see the original concept of Woody Allen. He wanted to do this, a, make this a three plus hour movie. He oh, wanted to start God. off 
the first act was going to be all in Manhattan, sort of Annie Hall, mm-hmm. Manhattan kind of uh, concept before he even actually got frozen and um, thrown 200 years into the future. He, um, of course, he got tucked out of it and uh, he decided to go with the second act, which was in the future. But um, yeah, it was going to be more than that. It was going to be uh, it was going to be a Woody Allen epic. And see, I I just don't get it. I I don't get Woody Allen. I don't like him as an actor. Oh, or... he's very hit and miss with me. And this was one of his broader comedies. And I actually thought it was it was funny, but it wasn't ha ha funny. Um, I, some of the situations when you know when he be stunned or dazed he had that goofy overblown look on his face like really really having it up and i you lose me at that point like i'm I'm no longer in the movie i'm i'm kind of going like you know anybody could have turned in this performance um it was smart it had some really 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 interesting ideas um it really utilized some of the modern um architecture that was happening back then like those houses and stuff like that, like you still see them in other yeah. films, like um, Brian a, Palmer's Body Double or yeah. um, actually Charlie's no, Angels. it was the uh, that that similar style. Similar style. He filmed most of his uh, movie in Denver. Um, that's a uh, Frank Lloyd Wright structure, I believe, that you're talking about. And and um, there's also another building called the UFO Building, and in, in Denver, uh, just outside of Denver, and. Los Angeles has a similar one as well that uh, you're talking about in Body Double. Plus, didn't Mel Gibson pull that apart in Lethal Weapon 2? He like pulled the peg out and the whole house collapsed. Wasn't that Lethal yes. Weapon? He did that. Uh, he like took out a house. It was the same house, wasn't it? I don't know. Oh, well. I'm not sure. But I, yeah, I mean, like he 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 had some really interesting ideas, and he was definitely you know. It's Woody Allen film. He he was never a big budget dude, so you can see where he really utilized a lot of the stuff that was happening. But he really should start casting a different actor as the lead besides himself. He does. He does I later know. in his, in his uh, other later, films. but um, I forget what year. We'll get to it eventually. Interiors, which is just amazing. Like I love that movie, and he's not in it. He's just the writer and director. Of course, it's not a comedy. It's a pretty depressing <laughs> drama, but. Alrighty, so what what were your under or sorry overrated movies for this year, Alan? Well, on my list, I had Walking Tall and Day of the Dolphin as well. So we've 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 been there, done that. Um, also on here, I've got The Last Tango in Paris, uh, the Bernardo Bertolucci film yep. with Marlon Brando and Maria Shriver. And that Schneider. waste of butter Schreiner. that they that they that's uh, just it. Okay, you know what? When you're sticking butter up somebody's tuchus, it's just, it's like what the fuck is that about? Like. You had this sadistic character who I I couldn't get invested in at all in this really twisted romance. I mean, like, okay, it's fucked up, but it for me it worked in nine and a half weeks. It didn't work for me in Last Tango in Paris. Yeah, and did you notice the um, the prevalence of uh, um, misogynistic views? Well, in I, was, this, in this I, was, movie? I was actually going to bring or, that. I was going to bring sorry. that up um, later on. Okay. Actually, let's sort of save that for later on. Sort of okay. maybe talk about that kind of thing. That these aren't the droids you're looking for. Well, no, no, it's cool. <laughs> you know, it, it, people will know it's coming, and that's all good and everything. But um, also, the last one that I had on my overrated list was American Graffiti. I know that this is an American mm-hmm. classic. I know that so many people really, really love this film. Happy Days is based on this, you know, which ran for freaking ever. Eleven but, years. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
And but it, I just I never ever connected to American Graffiti. And for me, it, it's like okay, it's kind of like you know, pick out the faces that are going to be somebody someday, <laughs> and then. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the only fun that I have watching it. You know, you see Harrison Ford, you see Suzanne Somers. You see Ron Howard in there, too. Yeah, yeah. Richard Dreyfus, Harrison you know, Ford. Um, yeah. uh, Lamatt, what's his name? Paul, Paul Lamatt. Lamatt. You know, it's, I mean, it's got a really great cast of, of, of up-and-comers, but it just, like I said, it just never connected for me. Yeah, I remember seeing this in, in, in the theater, actually, when I, went, when I was living in Elliot Lake. And yeah, I remember uh, walking around the aisles for the first half of it. It seemed kind of boring for me. But, yeah, but but I but I still had a good time. A lot of our parents really connected with it. It wasn't really uh it wasn't really a story. It was a connection with a time, mm-hmm. and they had the songs. They had you know what everybody did at the time. Drive-ins. Yeah, but so did Dazed and Confused, and I mean the, the characters are far more far more identifiable, and the the story is much more engaging than I found um, um, American Graffiti to be like. Yeah, the '50s weren't my time, or the '60s, or whenever it was supposed to be taking place. But neither was that period in the '70s with uh, Dazed and Confused. But I still, I love the shit out of that movie. Yeah, but it was it was it was, great. It was a good time. I mean, we can we'll bring up Paper Moon later, but Paper Moon was was a throwback to the Depression. Yeah. Nobody wants to remember about remember that. And I think Lucas's American Graffiti was something that we wanted to harken back to and think about. Um, especially yeah. in the middle of, yeah, of the good all days. the shit that was going yeah. on in the seventies, early seventies, and um, I don't think any—I mean, unless one of you can think of something, can we think of something else before that 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 actually used the nostalgia factor? Well, I, there would be, there's sure there's period films, um, but yeah, nothing that's probably that that um, fresh probably in the audience's mm-hmm. history. Yeah. Not that I can think of, anyhow. Yeah. Okay, so that is um, the overrated films of the year. How about you start us up again with um, your underrated films, there, Ross? Underrated. Well, let's see. Um, I think Ralph Bashke deserves a little nod here because um, Heavy Traffic came out in '73. Um, it was a follow-up to Fritz the Cat. And Fritz Cat got an X rating. It was the first animated X rated movie. And Heavy Traffic got one for the first year until it was uh, trimmed down to a R. <laughs> and um, it's really good. I, I really like it. It's once again, uh, if you've listened this far into the podcast, I'm uh, talking about urban decay and everything. And um, it really, really hits that home uh there's it's rotoscope a lot of it is is traced over um that means they it's it's like it's like nowadays with blue screen um same kind of thing where that you film somebody walking around doing something and then you you trace over it with and then you animate it that's yeah. rotoscoping um uh, speaking of days, confused. Uh, Richard Linklater, he's doing that these days with uh, yes. uh, Scanner Darkly and Waking Life. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And um, some people think it's you know it's not really animation, whatever. It's 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 what the story is like. And, it's tracing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's not art. From chasing Amy. Yeah. Yes. Um, it was a good movie, and 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 
if I, I I couldn't believe this when I looked this when I looked it up. Um, Heavy Traffic was the most successful Ralph Braschke movie of all time. I couldn't believe it. Well, which others did he do? He did Wizards. Well, your favorite, Cool World. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> not by a long shot. <laughs> and uh, Fritz the Cat. Um, he did, he was heavily involved in Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. Wizards. He didn't do uh, Watership Down, did he? No. no. I don't think so. No. Pretty sure. Okay. What else you got for us? That's it. Um, oh, are we on? Uh, we're on. We're on the underrated. 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 Well, there's a little movie called Neptune um, Factor. Who, um, Macro, what, Mac Marcuni? Martini? Martini? Black Hole Man? The guy who, who uh, talks a lot on your um, comments? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. He might be interested in this. It's called The Neptune Factor. It's a little known movie came that came out and it involves a lot of the people that were in the black hole. And it uh came out in 19, 1973 and it starred Ernest Borgnine and Yvette Mimiu. <laughs> and Donnelly Rhodes for us Canadian fans who hey, is that's uh Doc Cuddle. Yes. Yeah. Yes. On BSG. And he's also in Danger Bay. And, and Soap. And um, Da Vinci's Inquest. <laughs> it was a really bad movie. But I think it was underrated because it didn't turn up on many of my search uh, searches for 1973. Um, the Neptune Factor. And it was um, this undersea adventure. Um, it had about $3 for a budget. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of big name actors. But... Um, yeah, it, it 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 flew under the radar, and if you want to see a lot of actors trying to uh, ham it up, check it out. It they didn't have as much money as the black hole, but um, <laughs> let's do. Well, um, with that one there, um, I was gonna ask you something, and now it's completely forgotten. Oh, do you know if that's available on DVD? That could be a reason why it's not showing up on a lot of lists. It sort of seems like if um, a movie's not available now, it's not showing up on some lists. So. No, it, it, I think it was um, it was it was a it was produced. It wasn't produced from the U.S. It was um, it had some other international influence. And um, no, I don't think there's been a DVD version. I think there um, might be might have been a VHS version. It's really hard to find. I saw it about it is, it is 20 years on ago on public, te- well, cable television. Uh, yeah. It was released to DVD, uh, looks like uh, June 5th, 2007. Okay. Cool. And it's a Canadian production. Oh, no, yes. that's a Canadian release. Okay. Yeah. That was the first, Canada was the first place to have the release. Where were you in June 26, 1973 <laughs> for the Neptune Factor? I wasn't even born yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Is that, is that it yep, for you? Yep, that's it for me. Okay. Yeah. Right, for my, my underrated, uh, I've got um, Al Pacino and Serpico. Uh, this almost made my top five for favorite movies. Uh, it's, it's Al Pacino before he became uh, famous for his screaming to show his emotions. Like he actually showed emotions in this and 
I think the the screaming thing didn't really start till Scent of a Woman. I don't know. You 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 do see other uh, other movies that where it's it's just starting to show up, but uh, I I rather enjoyed this this movie. He had a very nuanced performance in it, so it was, it was good. And if you haven't seen it, you ought to. Um, well, it's one of those movies I think a lot of people have seen. I think you're kind of using um, underrated as you know one of the best of in in, in this term because yeah. Serpico. I mean, is one of his um, hallmark performances. Whenever you read a good yeah. review about um, El Pacino or a bad one, they'll refer back to Serpico. And... Or maybe it was underrated to me because I hadn't seen it no, until we did this. It's totally cool. Like I, I, I see where you're going with it because yeah. I had a really hard time finding stuff that I would have called underrated simply because I wasn't there to see how well it was rated or yeah, um, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> In fact, I was born yesterday. <sighs> Um, my, my next, my next underrated movie, uh, is this exploitation movie, Coffee. Oh. Oh, man. What an awesome movie. The peak of exploitation. Yeah. Um. 1973. Pam Greer. Um. Who else was in that? Hey, Pam Greer's enough. Yeah. It would be a good time to uh, bring up Cleopatra Jones at the same time. I don't think we're yeah. going to bring it up later, so we no. might as well just do a like a, a two for one here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I didn't get to see Cleopatra Jones. I, I didn't really see Coffee, to. but we <laughs> can probably compare notes. <laughs> yeah. um, it was awesome. Um, lots of uh, lots of ass kickery. By a female kickery, cool. I I concur. I love coffee. I really thought that this was going to be one I'd be coming out of not enjoying, and I I did. I loved it. It was it was um, fun and sexy and violent and um, just everything that a, a film like that should be, and so not in a way that could. Be, I don't even think a movie like that could be made today. Not mm-hmm. not. And, and achieve any kind of commercial success or even commercial exposure. Yeah, like it, it was obviously done on a like on a budget, and yeah, there's a lot of like second string, third string actors in it as well. But uh, Sid Haig is in it from uh, a lot of the um, Devil's Rejects. Thank you, Thousand uh, Corpses. Yeah. yeah, horror fans will know who he is. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun. I just had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And up until up until we were going to be doing this this podcast, I had no interest in seeing it at all. But now I want to see Cleopatra Jones. And you know what that was about because I, I knew nothing about it. Yeah, it was about the same thing. It was it was <laughs> more about, it was it wasn't just black exploitation. I mean, I hate that word. It's it's um African American exploitation. Was fundamentally uh, um, <laughs> Uh, a revenge film. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Her sister gets gets involved in drugs, and then there's a lot of female a empowerment in the movie, though. They, mm-hmm. Is there? Okay, yeah. now this this is where I I was I there's this there's this gray line running down the middle of it. Is it is it treating women badly or is it empowering them? Because I mean, you see, like coffee. The character coffee uses her sexuality to 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 go further 
in her own investigation of who's responsible. But so does for James Bond. So does James Bond. But I'm talking about, let's face it, dude, the treatment of women versus men. A, a man gets to get away with that, and he's the stud hero of the film. I mean, you were talking about um, Gene Hackman scoring all over the place in Scarecrow. Yeah. But, you know, in reality, whatever. So, but if you've got an, if you, when you've got a female character doing that stuff, I mean, in most films, women are punished for their sexuality. Whereas coffee actually kind of gained and it's, it's just weird. It's like, do we, as a society today, would we, I mean, look, Madonna is a fine example. You know, you will either have people going, cheering her on for using her sexuality to, to further her, her career, or you'll get those that say, well, you know, if she wasn't selling sex, she wouldn't sell anything at all. She's a whore. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's very, very divisive. And I found coffee to be that way as well too. Like, I wasn't too sure how I should feel about this. Like, is, is this giving women, um, is, is it empowering women? Because there, there were aspects of it that were very empowering. But there were other aspects of it, too, that was sort of like um, sort of reducing women down to the sum of their parts. Well, yeah. I, I kind of looked at it as uh, kind of a, a different spin on Buffy, the drug lord slayer. Yeah, that's... Because yeah, she was like powerful. But Buffy didn't fuck all the demons in order to. Only a couple. <laughs> exactly. So are you saying that this is experimental? So we use another, uh, like we use another ethnicity other than the you know oh, the I, white. I, no, I'm not. White... Talking about, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about race at all. I'm just talking about. Of course, no. But you're. But could could it be that black exploitation was the experimental phase of of showing women in a different empowerment? That there's definitely an argument for that. Absolutely, I you know, um, maybe now we should get into the whole treatment of women in film back here. Like, yeah. I mean, you do have you do see some very very strong women in 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 some films, but um, like The Exorcist, Ellen Burstyn is a, you know a really stable character. Um, Don't look now, Julie Christie was a very stable character, but you do see a lot of women getting slapped around and pushed around, yeah, or being like this way over the top mm -hmm. villain yeah. in the film and yeah. the like the Shelley Winters used. yeah like that woman that redheaded woman in Walk Tall like yeah or Walking Tall yeah like you know you, the, the, it was almost there were two camps there were either the crazy psycho bitch or you know the the woman that you would want to be around there wasn't yeah. a lot of middle ground and there wasn't a lot of um, strength being shown on, on behalf of women yeah. that you know they always needed the man to fall back on and what, the man to put them in their place. That too, yeah. like uh, watching them. Um, oh, Mark, rescue me here. Uh, longest, longest yard. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watching the uh, longest yard. Um, Burt Reynolds roughing that chick up in the beginning of the film. I right. know it's not 1973, but it, it, it yeah. is in this this period. Um, I thought he broke her neck. I know. I, in, I, in one scene, it's like holy shit. But I guess men's men's treatment of women in films too is so different back then. Mm -hmm. You couldn't get away with that. Well, they they didn't even try and get away with that when they remade it with um, Adam Sandler. He, oh, he just did it to her car. Yeah, I mean, he, there was no way that they were going to let him slap Courtney Cox around before wrecking her car, kind of thing, right? And yet, um, Burt Reynolds does it in yeah. in um, the long longest yard, longest yard, and and you and, still consider him and a he's hero, the stud, yeah. So, uh, yeah, because like, well, just say in in the remake, if Adam Sandler would have beaten Courtney Cox like Burt Reynolds had done to his woman, uh, 
you would have been against him for for the whole movie. Absolutely. And and and, and there is no there is no redemption from that. No. No. And I... and he and he doesn't in the movie either. Like Burt Reynolds, like there is no redeeming factor there. It's all yeah, it's all just him beating up the woman at the first, and then... Yeah, and I guess that's the thing with Coffee, too, is that she really kind of allows herself to get smacked around. Um, Maria Schneider in um, Last Tango in Paris, she lets him stick the butter up there. Like, you know, like, the, the women are uh, <laughs> rather permissive in what they let the men get away with, and mm-hmm. we wouldn't see that in a film today. Not, not, a, not a widely available commercial film that, you know... Yeah. You know, it, you're not going to go see my big fat greek butter stick you know like yeah well actually one one movie that i found that uh the woman actually had more more power than the guy and it wasn't like bad in that way was um oh we just watched it last night don't look now yeah don't look now uh in the sex scene his first move is to go down on her that's like in normal 1973 things that would be no, you're going down. According on me. to urban legend, did it really happen? Well, that's the big thing in the sex scene in Don't Look Now. It, it is had that real. Did, did they or didn't they? Yeah. Same as Angel Heart. And there's a oh yeah, Angel Heart. Postman and... always rings twice with Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And, uh, Anything calling. with Mickey Rourke, basically. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know that Mickey Rourke wants it to really happen. <laughs> He's so creepy. Okay, so we kind of got sidetracked a little bit there. Um, Whose list were we reading off of? Uh, mine, but yeah. Yes. So it's up to you. Your underrated. Uh, to me now. Well, I had coffee on there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've talked that one out. <laughs> <laughs> I had Badlands on here where I know that it really isn't an underrated film, but it's. I think it's one of those movies that maybe newer um, people that are kind of getting into movies and stuff like that, that might overlook now. Um, this was a really, really cool movie, and you can really see how influential influential it was. Um, watching it, I kept thinking over and over again of True Romance, it, it, including the music that they used. I mean, you can tell that Tony Scott borrowed the music to sort of make you think back to Badlands. Um, and in a way, Natural Born Killers as well. Oh, yeah. Like I, I found it really close to Natural Born Killers. And it, it even gets referenced in uh, uh, The Frighteners as yeah. well. So, yeah. Did you see Badlands? No. Oh, sorry. Um, the next one I have, again, um, not one that is sort of really um, underrated, but there there was an abominable remake done, and I think if um, anybody out there has, has not yet exposed themselves to it, they should go back to the original and see uh, The Wicker Man. Um, I actually couldn't get through the first version of The Wicker Man. Really? I love it. No, I couldn't get through it. No! Really? <laughs> Oh uh, no, it's it's a great film. Fundamentally the same story as the remake, but I just thought so much better so much better pace, um had a better aesthetic. Uh Britt Eklund, come on. Well, if if it's any consolation, I didn't like the remake either. Okay. <laughs> and my last one that I picked was uh The Long Goodbye, which is a Robert Altman film, which I didn't even know about until we went back and looked at this. I love Altman films and this you can really, really see um Altman developing his style there. Yeah, it was it was smooth. It it, it reminded me a lot of like in its smoothness of um, uh, the player. Yeah, uh, very very smooth. Very, very well observational. Done. I mean, like he yeah. really pulls back and he does. You know, he's not up in people's face all the time. 
and he really lets you watch the scene uh, play out and he lets you see the hero lumps and all you know Um, when Elliot Gould would be walking around muttering to himself I think that that's Mm -hmm. something that most directors would either excise or um, avoid having at all and yeah there was a lot of uh, woman bashing in that too by by the main villain uh, the gangster guy there yeah uh yeah coke ball to, to the face of that one woman Ooh, that's oh bad. yeah that was yeah but um uh a lot of it to me felt like it was ad-libbed like was it well i don't i really don't know how altman works i don't know if he, i i know that he starts with the script but i think that he does end up with um a lot of a lot of yeah i think that he does do that because he um in films like nashville and um shortcuts and stuff like that where you have so much going on and he's letting a lot of stuff play in the background that I think he has left a lot of it to the actors to sort of develop. Well, it it did look a lot more natural by uh, the, the ad-libbing and it was more like, like a real conversation. Like there were breaks and pauses in it. More so than, okay, like we were talking about Mean Streets which seemed so all over the place mm-hmm. in terms of where the characters were in the scene. Yeah, but yeah, I guess Altman just has a tighter rein on 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 his stuff at that time yeah but and, yeah i enjoyed it yeah and that was except that... for well no just sorry just break in there except for putting the title song everywhere yeah. i know i know you didn't notice I didn't that even notice it. but uh everybody at some point in that movie is singing the long goodbye or it's playing on a radio in the background or a mexican band is playing it at a funeral it's everywhere i thought i heard the macarena at one point too wasn't it? Uh, yes, but no. Yeah, something like that. I did enjoy all the hippie chicks who lived next door to him who were... <laughs> Couldn't seem to keep their clothes on? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I thought you might. All right. That's it for our overrated and underrated uh, films of 73. Okay. I want you to remember one thing. I decide on the price. Maybe you don't know French, but there's something in this world called finesse. $12. I never sold no Bible for $12. That man was a law officer. You could have had me put in jail. We got it, didn't we? I don't care if we got it. Don't you go making the decisions. I make the decisions. All you got to do is look like a pretty little girl. You ain't got something like a ribbon in that cigar box, do you? Got my mom's kimono in my suitcase, chiming with umbrellas. I ain't quite what I had in mind. Okay, we're going to quickly burn through the the Academy Awards for 1973. And we'll start off with uh, Best Director. We had uh, George Lucas nominated for American Graffiti. William Friedkin for The Exorcist, Bernardo Bertolucci for The Last Tango in Paris, Igmar Bergman for Cries and Whispers, and the winner was George Roy Hill for The Sting. In Best Supporting Actress, we have Summer Wishes, Summer Dreams with Sydney, Sylvia Sidney and Madeline Kahn in Paper Moon, Candy Clark in American Graffiti, Linda Blair in The Exorcist, and the winner was Tatum O'Neill in Paper Moon. For Best Supporting Actor, we had Randy Quaid in The Last Detail, Jason Miller in The Exorcist, Jack Guilford in Save the Tiger, Vincent Gardenia in Bang the Drum Slowly, and John Houseman won it in The Paper Chase. For Best Actress, we had Joanne Woodward in Summer Wishes, Summer Dreams, Barbara Streisand in The Way We Were, Marsha Mason in Cinderella Liberty, Ellen Burstyn in The Exorcist, and Glenda Jackson won for A Touch of Class. In Best Actor, we have Robert Redford in The Sting, Al Pacino in Serpico, 
Jack Nicholson in The Last Detail, Marlon Brando in Last Tango in Paris, and the winner was Jack Lemmon in Save the Tiger. For Best Picture in 1973, it went A Touch of Class, The Exorcist, Cries and Whispers, American Graffiti, and it was won by The Sting. Very good. Any any comments about the Oscars in general for this year? Wow. Um, Randy Quaid got an Academy Award nomination. Yeah. I didn't see this. And, um, and he was he in was two a, movies that Yeah, that he year. was in Paper Moon, too. Yeah. And I, I grew up watching him in the 80s with uh, starting off with Saturday Night Live and then the, the vacation movies mm. and everything else. And, and totally did not expect this guy to be such a predominant figure in the early 70s. I know. It's like I, I had no idea as well. Like I thought... Wow! Like like when I saw him in Paper Moon, I was like, "Neat." Yeah, he was in um, the Last Picture Show too, which was in '72, '71. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty interesting too for Best Supporting Actress. You have two uh, child actors, uh, Tatum O'Neill and Linda Blair. Tatum O'Neill actually winning for Paper Moon, and Madeline Kahn nominated. Who I tend to only think of as a comedian. I don't really think of her as an actor. Like like I think of her as like. Blazing Saddles and um, she do what variety? She did. She did some variety show of some kind. Young often. Frankenstein. Really? Oh, I liked it. Uh, there's something else I was going to mention about it uh, as well, but well, yes, our our Oscar coverage was a lot, a lot less time-consuming than the real thing. <laughs> Okay, so that's it for part one of 1973. We'll be back next week to talk about um, many other things, including our top fives. I can't wait. You never can, dude. (laughs) So it was great having you again, Ross. Can we expect to uh, see you here on a regular basis? Yes, if uh, you can put up with me. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. We really enjoy what you're bringing to uh, to the podcast. And, um, you know, we're definitely looking forward to having you here. On Thank a, you. On, on right on. Um, so we will, you will hear from us, you will see us, you won't see us next <laughs> week. But you'll hear from us next week. And until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Let me be there in your mind.